I'm just struck in general by how much significant content people actually miss. Makes me feel more optimistic about the growth of the podcast and that there's a lot of people out there who just have never don't don't know about it. They don't know about what we're doing. Uh, and, and that's a good thing. And uh, another good sign is, you know, every time I'm able to go in War Room, which I was just on this morning with Steve Bannon, there's always someone new in the audience who's like, never heard of you before, never seen you, or, or maybe I heard of you and I kind of forgot. And, and now I saw you again for the second or third time. And I'm, you know, impressed to pour it. I had somebody call and donate money from across the country and say, hey, I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is. I believe in what you're doing. Don't let anybody tell you you need 40 to $50 million. You need a million dollars in Minnesota. So now that's the new goal to try and raise a million dollars. But um, Steve had me on this morning, but I want to talk about the debate between Steve and David Frum. Uh, and the main reason I continue to run the debate or I rerun the debate is I think it's the perfect um, illustration of the difference between MAGA, America First, conservatives, and rhino, neocon conservatives. Obviously, David Frum, having worked with the, uh, you know, in the Bush administration, he was a speechwriter for, for George Bush, whatever that's worth. But, um, you know, first of all, I don't even like speechwriting. I'm just going to say that on the, on the front end of things. If I make it to the office, there'll be no speechwriters for me. And I just, I just, I detest it. I think it's dishonest on face value. Don't get me wrong. Kennedy and some of these guys had some incredible, epic, you know, legendary political speeches. I just think that was kind of part of the problem. We got too comfortable with the the uh, the theater of politics versus the the policy of, of politics. So um, I, I won't be having speechwriters. But anyway, David Frum is a, a paragon of neocon rhino Republican Party. Uh, and it, the, the, the wild, and I just want to hear what you think about David Frum in general, the era that, you know, his, his age group and, and that whole Republican kind of establishment, cause you're familiar being in the Republican party yourself. But the most striking thing in his closing statements, he went on about a two and a half, I posted it on my Twitter. He went on about a two and a half minute monologue where he literally rattled off every woke talking point you possibly could. I mean, he didn't miss one. It was like he had, it was like, it, you know, for a speechwriter, we knew, now we know this was premeditated. The entire debate from start to finish was premeditated. Um, and in his closing statements, he wanted to make sure that he appealed to the broadest tent of, of woke um, politics that he possibly could. Uh, well, what, what'd you make of the debate? What'd you take away from the debate? The thing that bothered me the most, that really made my hair stand up on end, was when he said that if you're really patriotic, you're going to love your country no matter what. And in my mind, I saw the Nazi troops parading down the center of Berlin. Well, watch that hand. Well, hey, you know, <laughs> happened, uh, you know, by accident, I yeah. guess, on purpose. Yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, this is the, uh, this is a horrible, uh, this is horrible. It really, it's hard to even come up with the words because what he's saying is, I'm going to love my country no matter what. And as we peel back the layers of the onion and start to realize how depraved our country has become, mm-hmm. uh, I love the founding documents. I love the idea. But the actual functioning of our country right now is something I can't be proud of. 
And just on a sidebar for the uh, viewers and listeners that might be Jewish, they're going to know this. The word from in the Jewish population means very religious, Mm. a believer, Mm. follows all the rules, follows the law. So David Frum gets in certain circles in that kind of neocon Jewish world, Mm -hmm. he gets some psychological unconscious props because of his last name. (laughs) You know, but he's anything but a believer. Right. That's not who he is. And it it kind of tracks into this entire um, dialogue that we, the two of us, have kind of tumbled into now. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the anti-Semitism is off the charts. And I, and I think part of it is people like David Froome. And the ADL and APAC and... The Kagans and y- Newland and we could go on and on with yeah. these people. Mayorkas. Mayorkas is a great pick example. Pick one, yeah. And, Lincoln, know, pick one. But, you know, Mayorkas, there's an interesting, there's an interesting case. Mm-hmm. First of all, he's not a very handsome man. Hard Scary to, looking. Hard to tell he's Jewish by look. I don't even think he's human. But that's another discussion well, that's, for that, another day. Maybe we should get out the McCallum. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I got two more glasses. You keep talking. I'm going to go get the McCallum. Well, you know, I, I, I want to say, in, in, not in defense of these people, but in explanation of some of their positions, Mayorkas, uh, his family, I, if I remember correctly, and of course he's welcome to com- come on the channel and discuss it with us, it, Mayorkas... His family actually fled Europe uh, in the Nazi period, and they immigrated to Cuba. And I think Mayorkas, not in justification, just in to explain maybe that there is some germ seed of reasonableness, there was a rejection in the United States of Jewish immigrants who were trying to flee uh, the Nazi power that was growing in Europe, and, you know, the United States didn't allow these people to come into the country, and I think Mayorkas might have some sensibility that this invasion of people that are coming up out of Central and South America and from countries all around the world, that America somehow owes them um, comfort and and home, and I, I think that comes out of his own familial experience. So there is always a germ seed of maybe legitimacy. I mean, that's what makes a scam work is when there's an element of truth to it. He may believe that he's doing a good thing. And we as American citizens have to say, okay, we understand where you're coming from, but no, it's not working because there's no process, there's no governor on this thing, there's no border. There's just no border. So we've gone as a people from having rejected the immigration of Irish Catholics, Italian Catholics. I mean, we had these successive waves of, of immigration that goes back into the late 1800s that have been resisted by American citizens, and they've been resisted both violently. You know, if you go back in the history of the Republican Party, its, it's, it's, um, it's uh, root is a group called the, the Whigs and the Know-Nothings, and the, the Know-Nothings actually were uh, kind of an antifa of the proto-Republican Party. And if you want to really understand how deep this anti-immigrant feeling uh, ran in the United States of America, in Protestant America, there's a great movie uh, called um, 
The Gangs of New York. It's a fantastic movie. Martin Scorsese was the director. And it really sums up the anti-immigration sentiment that existed in this country in the late 1800s. Thank you. Doesn't that look great? Wow. That's on the 150th. This is on the 150th episode we're doing this. Right? 150th episode. Pour that out there, young man. 18, Come on. Let's 18 get 18-year-old whiskey. Scotch. And as my audience knows, I do not often drink alcohol, but there are times for celebrations. And episode 150 seems like a good time for We made it on 150 episodes. Celebrate. That's quite a lot. Doesn't that smell great? I think great? we're actually drinking. I think I might. This is not an appropriate amount of whiskey. Let's well, you leave a little bit at the bottom. Here's to you, young man, 150. Cheers. Wow. Fantastic. Um, so, it, if you, wait a sec. Have you eaten anything today? No. Neither have I. So the audience could be in for a surprise here in about for, 15, for, 20 minutes. For a treat. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, not even going to the anti-Semitism stuff, but first off, I, I want to revisit this from, um, you know, and the other thing that he said that I always think find interesting, and I want to revisit the anti-Semitism thing again because I again, it it's become more and more clear over the past couple of weeks uh, that one of the go-to, I mean, as if black people weren't already a go-to, then when all else fails, we're gonna play. We're gonna play the Jewish thing, right? And and we're gonna we're gonna use that as the dividing the dividing line, and it's not the dividing line that people would typically think of. I mean, right now people would think Muslims and Jews, right? Because Palestine and Israel, that's not the dividing line. The dividing line is on all sides. There are people who have some type of belief, opinion, uh, maybe even factual basis about the history of the Jewish identity and how it's been used. And in some cases, people just genuinely hate Jews the same way there are people who genuinely hate blacks. And I, I ran saw, into the... Yes, we did. I ran into the Nick Fuentes crowd. And I, I want to tell this story real quick. Please, would you? The, because that really got me angry. Yeah. That, that angry. Yeah, but don't, hey, I, I feel you. And and the, 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 the... Well, that's friends and family here we're talking about, Well, the, right? war, the war to fight with them is going to come. And I don't think they're as tough as they think they are. I don't even think they're as tough with a gun as they think they are. But we'll cross that, that, that bridge when we get there. My point is, well, first off, I know they're not as tough as they think they are. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, yeah, so I ran into the Nick Fuentes crowd because, somebody, first off, somebody said that I'm ducking a debate between Stu Peters, with Stu Peters or Nick Fuentes, which is anything but the truth. I would debate Stu Peters and Nick Fuentes on any day, any time, any place. In fact, I told uh, Alex, feel free to reach out to Nick, and if Nick wants to get together and debate anytime, any place, form of his choosing, it could, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, but hey, I'm black, so I may not even be worth the debate. However, he could pile around with Kanye when it'll fit his narrative. This is the kind of person he is, but we'll 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 get to that when the debate comes. Um, Stu Peters too. I mean, he's right here local. I got no problem with getting with Stu Peters and debating on any issue. And the the whole thing is like. Like I said on Twitter a few days back when I ran into the Nick Fuentes crowd, the whole thing is you or I have never really shied away from talking about how the Jewish identity is being used in a manipulative manner. I, in fact, more times than not, I've gotten criticism, and I know you've received criticism too, of people saying that we're anti-Semitic. 
So got it, got it last night. Just, <laughs> just someone just took off. So, on me. so you know, this whole idea that that you know we're afraid to. T- I mean, basically, what they're doing, and this is why I'm bringing it up. They're using the uh, <clears throat> they're using the unknown of Jewish influence across the world to create a litmus test that is unfalsifiable for anybody they want to discredit usually if they're Jewish or black, but they could be white as well. They say the same thing about Steve Bannon. They say the same thing about Alex Jones. They're actually saying it about Alex Jones, which kind of reiterates that it's not really a race thing for them. But it is a race thing at the same time, and this is where their their worldview has such coherence, and it's not by accident. This is how the security state plays. If you're jacked in close enough, you can feel when somebody's sending you in a circle, right? When somebody's trying to put you on a hamster wheel. And that's what I think these people on the far, the dissident right are doing. They're just hamster wheeling a bunch of, I don't, I don't even know who they are. Maybe they're real people. Maybe they're bots. Maybe they're living in their mom's basement. Maybe they're just internet trolls. I, I don't even know who these people really are. I don't think they're as influential as, um, as some people believe they are. For example, the Washington Post, when I ran for Congress, remember the Washington Post called me and they asked me for they asked uh, they asked me to comment on Marjorie Taylor Greene, and and at the time I was uh, I, I felt a little bit better about Marjorie's position, and and remind you remember now all these people are uh, everybody's in is in a dynamic fluid position, with respect to American politics or their spiritual life. Or That's whatever. a great point. Let me just digress for a one, second. One, one moment. Yes. Okay, go ahead. So everybody's nobody's in a static position. What you did yesterday, I don't give a fuck about. I care about what you're doing today, and I care about what you do tomorrow. So Marjorie, for me, the whole McCarthy-Marjorie thing was, you're out. You're out. And I don't care who says different. I really don't. That's me personally. Now, people listening may think differently. And there may be something that Marjorie has to stand up for or stand on. Be redeemed. To, and you're not redeemed for me. I mean, my opinion of you can actually no, be personally, redeemed. personally. But personally, yeah. yeah. So, you know, anyway. Washington Post calls me. They say, Marjorie Taylor Greene, what do you think about her? I say, hey, I like a lot of stuff Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying. What are, you, what are you asking me? Well, what do you think about her speaking at a Nick Fuentes rally? I go, Nick Fuentes? Who is that? I didn't even know who he was. And they were like, yeah, Nick Fuentes. He's a, you know, ultra-right, white nationalist. And I laughed. The reporter was on the phone with me from Washington. I literally just started laughing. And he's like, well, what, you, do you think that that's – funny or you you know you do you agree with Nick Fuentes's rhetoric I said I don't know him I've never heard him speak to speak back to what I was saying in the beginning to some people out there a, a, a sizable amount of people he's influential and they know him and you know that number's probably growing but I had never heard of him right and so when she said Fuentes I'm like the kid's name sounds Spanish is he even white and and she was uh, the, the the guy was like, well, I don't, I'm not really sure. And I was like, listen, <clears throat> you're not about to scare me with white supremacy. Let's stop there. Even if he's a genuine white supremacist, you're not. The Washington Post is not going to scare me, fear monger me away from America first policy with white supremacy. And that is what they're trying to do. They're trying to use Nick Fuentes, whether he knows it or not. I would say he knows but that's an argument for a different day. Whether he knows it or not, what that side of the argument is doing is scaring Jews and blacks and Hispanics and women and gays and whoever else 
away from America First policy that would otherwise be a net positive for their overall life. Uh, and, and I don't even think that's deniable. And the way that you know it's not deniable is anytime the Washington Post calls an America First candidate, even if they're black, the first thing they ask about is white supremacy. And so you can, you can I mean, it's not arguable. That is the line that they're trying to draw that even the David Frums find allegiance with liberal democratic policy. He said it right there in the debate. Oh, Donald Trump's not worried about Americans. There's always some other group the populists have to identify first. The other group he identified first were the David Frums, were the George Bushes, were the neocons and the rhinos. And then it was the corrupt media. And, the, and, and then it was the corporate elite that had their, their hooks into the Hillary Clintons, which are all really the same people. So for him to make it seem like the first other line was a racial line, that's David Frum being the middle of control opposition while the Nick Fuentes is out there on the right are being the, I don't even know what you call it, the ugly face of, of controlled opposition, right? We know the genuine opposition is leftist communism and Marxism. But on our side of the line, on our side of the football, the David Frum moderate and the Nick Fuentes far right are running the same game. Is that like the Pashtuns and the Republicans? That's exactly like the Pashtuns and the Republicans. We'll, we'll explain that down the road a little bit, too. That's, that's a little inside family joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the you're saying something in a very, I don't know, pretty sophisticated explanation of this. I just want to say it like this. If I was a Jewish person living any place in the United States and I saw Stu Peters and Nick Fuentes, even if I had figured out that the Democrat Party was no longer my home, I would take the devil I knew rather than the devil I didn't know. This thing is an impediment to getting the, like you say, the Hispanics and, the, and the, all these groups they're just forcing them to just hunker down and just stay or give up. Right. Because they're beset on both sides with anti-whatever their group is, right. particularly the Jews. In particular, let's talk about that because that's something I'm aware of. And I want to say, first of all, being very familiar with this tradition, mm-hmm. speaking Hebrew, uh, knowing the New and the Old Testament, I mean, I'm not saying I know it well, just good enough to be saved. Mm-hmm. Good enough, right? <laughs> I don't want to make myself into a scholar. How well do you have to know it to be saved? You have to have faith. There you go. Okay, so mm-hmm. these people. Nick Fuentes and those guys don't know it that well. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. You can't quote Scripture and have Scripture be the, the cornerstone of your worldview, but then you want to create a... When love is the great commandment. Monocul- mono, what are they called? Monocultural nation or society? Well, there's two great commandments. And if you're going to sit around and hate people, because what they're doing is stoking hatred. But being, and, and I hate for us to say that because as soon as we say stoking hatred, then we start to sound like the liberal machine because that's what they're saying, right? I mean, they, they say, oh, these guys promote hatred. And here's what's more dangerous. What they really say is the Donald Trumps of the world have opened the doorway for the Nick Fuentes's to spew hatred. And there's two major conflations here. One of them being, one of them being that, um, like you said, being okay with your country at as it is, 
uh, that, that have any criticism of your country or the way that your country's constructed, the way that your country's organized is uh, uh, anti-patriotic, right? The, the right, the, the, the David Frums do that, um, but, but also the, the, the further right does that where they say, you know, all of these Marxists and communists or black folks or whoever it is that's saying, hey, there's something wrong with America, they tell them, we'll go live in another country. Wait, what? If I'm a citizen and I have a criticism of my country and it's based in Americans, America's foundational values and beliefs, I have every right to criticize my country and my government. So the, the, the shilling for the government on the right is already out of control, in my opinion. So that's, that's one conflation. But the second conflation, the major conflation is that if you talk about a group of people and hatred between groups of people, then you're automatically with the Marxists and the leftists and the liberals. No, there is genuine hatred. You can hear it and see it. That doesn't mean we're going to agree with the leftists when they say that Donald Trump should be disqualified because his overall political presence invites anti-Semitism and racism. We're not that dumb. And we're not so impatient and so petty that we'll let you trick us into that. And I see that a lot. I see that a lot on the internet, people being tricked out of their own set of beliefs, if that makes sense. Like they can't really stick with something because there's, they, they feel the, the sense or the pressure of attack from a perceived narrative out there. I mean, I can almost see people responding in conversations based on the narrative, not based on what's, what they really feel or what's true. Right? Yeah, no, there's hatred. If you, if you don't think people, there's a hatred out there, this country was lost because of that hatred. This country was lost because of the division and the hatred, whether it's along the anti-Semitic or racist or, or whether it's the working class and, the, and the, the elite. There is a sense of disdain and hatred that has caused this country to get to where, and really it's a crisis of leadership. And, and we, we more gravitate towards, I was thinking the other day, we'll take a false prophet before we take an imperfect prophet. It's a great line. We, we, I like that line. Yeah, we are ready. We are it's all good. T-shirt. We are all ready. <laughs> we are all in for a false prophet. Well, that's foretold. That's true. There you go. You know this. This. Um, I don't. I want to go back to this thing with from. Mm-hmm. And when I say from, I say it kind of in Yiddish pronunciation, because again, this gives him some props he doesn't deserve. It makes him appear to a group of people like he's righteous. He's not righteous. He's globalist. Two different things, but this 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 um, unwillingness or this judgment against criticizing the country it goes right down into the parties. I had a situation not that many months ago, maybe four or five months ago, six months ago, when uh, Representative Tom Emmer was shilling for this uh, debt ceiling resolution, which McCarthy negotiated, and the bill passed because of Democrat votes. And I was very vocal about it in the Republican Party that this was a a setup for an unlimited funding of war, which at that time none of these wars had broken out. And now everywhere you look is war. And I knew as soon as they set that bill up that there was unlimited funding mechanism through January first, twenty twenty five. I knew that they were gonna go spend ten million, ten trillion dollars killing people mm-hmm. and they're working on it full speed, right? And I I put out a lot of information, 
criticizing Emmer. And there was a woman in the Republican Party here in Minnesota that sent out a letter that said that no Republican should under any circumstance criticize any other Republican. And I just told her, just go join the Nazi Party. We should introduce her to Nick because that's where she belongs. Mm -hmm. This presumption that we as American citizens cannot have discourse and criticize. I mean, I'm taking criticism. I'm getting heat all the time. I'm not bothered by it. If your leaders are so weak that if you criticize them, they're going to crumble, let them crumble and let's get some new leaders. Yeah. And I was very put off by that. I mean, that was a real indictment of these, of course, this was a rhino person, a neocon person in the party. And here in Minnesota, which is a model for the whole country, we have a party that is shot through and dominated. I'm talking about the hierarchies of these parties. They're entrenched neocon interests. And they've got the money, or at least they, our good friend Thomas the Good calls them the tallest of the midgets, if we can use the word midget. They're not really going to survive. They're not really part of the new world order. They're not really part of the hierarchy. They just want to act like they are. They're getting some kind of psychological warmth and security by thinking they're in with the power structure. Actually, when they come around everybody up and take them to the camps, they're going to be right in there with us. <laughs> so, yeah. in fact, they might be the first to go. Yes. So, but, but my point is we must criticize, as Steve did with, with Frum. Did a great job, and the moderator was against him. The audience was against him. So, uh, at that time, was 2018, so mm, unaccepted were those ideas generally. And so unaccepted was Trump generally at that time. Well, where are we today in 2024? Look how far this movement has come. Yeah. And I put into a, uh, a live chat uh, recently, you know, it's really not about Donald Trump. It's about the ideas. Yeah. They don't care about Trump. That's a shill, scam, let's hate Trump. No, it's those ideas, which he is subject to criticism. You know, nobody... As you said, we'd rather have an imperfect leader, right, than we need. He's than a, a false one. Than a false one. Mm-hmm. He's definitely an imperfect leader. But I notice in him this uh, evolution that's going on. He's, you know, he's, he's an arrogant guy. He's super successful. But he's under so much pressure. And there, I think he's got an, over 90 charges on him in four different venues. And he's putting his life at risk. You know, he goes, every time he pops his head out, it could be the last time we see Donald Trump. This man is brave beyond most people's concept. Mm. His ideas are evolving, and he's developing a humility that I've seen, and I, and I said this several years ago to you, if he would just embrace his imperfection and rely on faith, he'd be embraced by more and more Americans because Americans love a person that says they're sorry. And they all, He already has this great constituency yeah i think i think uh, in fairness to him i think his impetus to not apologize comes from the understanding of how the media is playing a sort of gotcha game seeking apology and and they're going to use that for headline for clickbait or to condemn or to indict in this case to actually prosecute right I mean, it is a high stakes game that that Donald Trump's involved in when it comes to what he says in the media uh, or what he says in the public, because obviously 
the establishment, the constabulary is willing to prosecute him based on the things he says. And he's driving them nuts. And he's driving them nuts. Just, and I you know, and then we sit here like dummies and we take everything he says like he's serious. No, they're torturing him and he knows exactly how to torture him back. Mm-hmm. And I'm at first I was thinking, and we got our friend Rob, you know, that can't stand Trump because he says things like, I'm not going to be a dictator, except on day one. He doesn't mean that. He's just making people's heads blow off their shoulders because people are deranged, truly deranged about Donald Trump. And I look at it and I sit here and I go, No, it's horrifying. Well, no, they're not deranged about Donald Trump. The funny thing is they're not actually deranged about Donald Trump. I've, I've come to realize this from, from the few people who are avid uh, Donald Trump detractors that are in my immediate life who I can talk to about him. They're not deranged about Trump. They're deranged about what the media has presented about Trump. Well, yeah. they have no clue what the, but honestly, and that's, that's actually a sign of optimism. Now, the scary part is that the machine is so powerful, so strong, so influential that they will be able to continue the false narrative long enough for Donald Trump to age out of being able to be president. But the ideas will carry on. And so when a young 32-year-old like myself comes, who they have a much tougher time, although they will still try to assassinate my character um, or, or misrepresent what I say, um, that's optimism. That that's a that's a that's a point of 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 optimism for the for the country, uh, because they don't disagree with the ideas. People on a on a broad basis, the general public, they don't disagree with the idea. Like I could talk about the ideas of, of Donald Trump with most people, and again, they go right back to the culture with spilling the blood. Uh, they're um, you know they're changing the blood, or like you said, the dictator thing, right? And 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 here's the thing, I don't know why he would say that. Honestly, I, I'll give the. I have my speculation. I, I, but well, I'll give the same criticism that the left gives, really. And if the left, if somebody on the left asks me, I'm still supporting Donald Trump for 2024. But I don't know why he would say that. I, I wouldn't have said that. It wouldn't have occurred to me to say that. It wouldn't have occurred to me to even say I'm going to be a dictator on day one. But you can tell that he's fucking with him. That's what he's doing. Yeah, that's, that's what he's doing. That's my, that's yeah. my opportunity. And there are all these people out there who are soft who are like, why even? It's the same people who say to me, why even engage with the, with the trolls or the, the, why engage with them? This is how we lost. I'll, give, me a, give me an imperfect prophet before you give me a false one. I'll take Donald Trump getting in a personal spat with the establishment and fucking with them and some, you know, and some rhetorical, you know, tit for tat. I'll take that over somebody who's going to come out and say all of the right things in the right tone. That's why he calls him Ron DeSanctimonious. There you go. The Nikki Haley's give me the Donald Trump personal, you know, what do they call immature kind of, uh, in, uh, in temperamental. Then, then the people who are completely and utterly fake. I like a person who's going to be, Hey man, fuck you. Fuck you. You want to go there? Okay, cool. Let's, let's go there. I like that a little bit. And you I, like it a lot of bit. I, well, I love it. Come and on, let it out. They're getting lucky. They're, I'm telling you, the American people, they're lucky. They're lucky to have Donald Trump. I, gr- I, I agree with I you. I mean that honestly. The reason, the, the only reason I become a supporter of Donald Trump the way I am is because I had the ability to reflect on my own character and realize that he's being way nicer than I would be. <laughs> so honest to God. I'd be motherfucking these people every chance I got. But I know he doesn't want to do it. 
because he's afraid that the 501c3 Christians on the right, the evangelical support that he probably naturally has, he'll lose if he gets any more demonstrative. Me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold that line. I wouldn't give a fuck. And that's the real battle we're going to have to fight when Donald Trump is no longer on the, on the board. Because he plays, the, he, he, you know, he's, he's kind of torn that line. But I wouldn't do it because but, I find them to be the real issue. But maybe. Nick, just, Nick Fuentes, the people who pose as Christians, they're the real issue. The, the Marxists and the communists, the liberals, the, the, whoever you want, the Muslims, okay, the Jews, they're not the real issue. The real issue are the Christians. The status quo. This is what I said about Nick Fuentes before, and I would be happy. Oh, I would love to hear his rebuttal to this point. If we have a Christian country, if all of these white Christians really believed in God, they really believed in America, they really believed in freedom, then how did the country get this way? How? You cannot, you cannot exonerate the white, whatever that white identity, I'm not trying to do, I don't even want to go there because I don't believe in it. But if you want to go there, like they often do, you cannot exonerate the white people in this country with some boogeyman. It doesn't work. Now, I'm not, see, what the left wants to say, and this is how they, the Uniparty is trying to play. I, I say that Nick Fuentes is part of the Uniparty. And somebody goes, what are you talking about? The, see, people think the Uniparty is just the D.C. elite that reach across the aisle, shake hands, and steal the American people's money. No, it's a system. No, the Uniparty are the extreme controlled opposition, too. There's a Uniparty of controlled opposition that means to run everybody into the middle to the Nikki Haley's and the Joe Biden's. Nick, Nick's point, and I said this before, but, but I'll say it again, you can't say that the Jews, the blacks, the Muslims, the Hispanic immigrants from Central America, whoever, are ruining the country. It was ruined to allow this to get to where it's There at. were white people who conceded. Now, if your argument is, yeah, we're trying to rally the white people to undo that mistake, or we're trying to rally the white people to recognize their mistakes, or what, okay, yeah, fine. That doesn't mean, that doesn't exonerate you. So, so we can't blame where the country has gone on everybody else. That's not even a Christian idea. It's not even a Christian idea to point the finger. And there's a difference between acknowledging people who are a danger, who are dishonest, rebuking and refuting, and then putting all of the blame on someone else. This is something we struggle with teaching the young guys at the, at the, at the high school level in basketball. There's a difference between me telling a teammate, hey, you missed the rotation. Or you, you should have dove on that ball. The ball was loose. You didn't dive. The rule is you have to dive on the ball when the ball is loose. And telling somebody, um, uh, it, it's all your fault. You're not playing well enough. You're not good enough. You're not. There's a difference. And that, that blurry line of that difference is where we lost the country. But you need real leaders in order to, in order to sort that out. Well, it really is. When I look at what I what I see in the social media and how people approach me, I just go back, you know, we're picking out the cinder in everybody else's eye and there's a giant log in our own eye. Let's write scripture. You don't have to really, are these people reading the scripture? Of course not. Well, of course not. That's the problem. We, you know, we're in a, we're in a jam. They're standing on a faith tradition, but they're not living the faith tradition. I mean, it's not just 
an intellectual pursuit. It's something you have to give over to. St. Thomas Aquinas, there's levels. You've got to master every level. And these people mastered making money and mm-hmm. getting high. They didn't master the level of refining their inner self, which is what America offered its citizens. That's what the freedom is. The freedom to refine yourself to the highest yes. point. Yes. Yeah. That's because right. those rights were granted by God. Mm-hmm. God didn't grant us those rights to become experts at porn that the, that the government wasn't going to get in your way and obstruct your individual journey to righteousness. That, that's the whole beauty of our country, mm-hmm. and it's not even taught. I mean, this is, this, is, this is taking the people and progressively over the generations, enslaving them to a false ideology, and that's where we're living today. And so much of what we're taught is false. And I was, tell, I was telling you this, uh, Recently, you know, we have this story. It's a great story. Everybody should look this story up. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were signers of the Declaration. They were great friends. They had a big falling out, huge falling out. I mean, to the point of no more talking. Maybe if they see each other, it's pistoles, right? Hated each other. And there was a great American hero who started the first American medical school. His name was Benjamin Rush, Dr. Benjamin Rush, who wrote beautifully about the importance of preventing the medical field from taking over the, um, the hierarchy or the infrastructure of our country. And Rush was very, was friends with both men and he was, you know, really um, interested in seeing them reconcile and he helped these two reconcile. And 50 years after these two men signed the Declaration of Independence, they both died on July 4th, 50 years after they, 50 years to the day after they signed that declaration. Mm. And that is something that most of the listeners don't know. They don't know the cover story that these two great pillars of America reconciled just before their deaths. There's this a big volume of letters they were writing to each other that were really about the spiritual and the governance of this country. Yeah. And they died on the same day, and it's like a miracle. You know, that's not the, my theory of the case. This is the Professor Penn theory. That wasn't an accident. They didn't die on July 4th by a divine hand. That was the cover story. I believe, personally, they were poisoned. Mm. And they died on the same day because that's a way that a Satanist would reverse the majesty that is that document, which allows people to perceive and then pursue their spiritual becoming. Because if you're a slave in a country that's ruled by a king, you don't get the chance to do that. And our original forefathers... Or at least that's the idea anyway. Well, they fled... It wasn't working. They, the, the original you know, colonists, the people that came here, were coming here, and we all are taught this, they came for religious freedom because they wanted to practice Christianity in their own Protestant essential way. So now we got this battle between Protestants and Catholics. That's another division. We got the the Protestants and the Catholics and the Jews. We got the Jews and the Muslims. We got the Republicans and the Democrats. We got the Shias and the Sunnis. We got the Chinese and the Americans. You know, everywhere I look. The Chinese and the Japanese and the South Koreans and the the North Koreans. And stick the Vietnamese in there, too. Everybody hates each other. Mm -hmm. You know, come on. Can we get someplace after 
thousands of years. Of and work. there's a difference. You know, this is what I was trying to say before. There's a difference between hating somebody because of the way they look or, or whatever you perceive their genetic makeup to be and protecting your house from invasion. And see, you know, I, I always look at what they're trying to accomplish with the narrative versus what, what's being said on the surface. And, and you know, it, it, the pendulum swings both ways. And the, the, the idea of xenophobia or racism or, you know, uh, I don't, I don't, whatever you want to say, right, is being used in two directions. And what, again, it's the same point. They want to say that if you believe in having a border and you don't believe in unconstrained amounts of immigration, unfettered immigration, um, then you're xenophobic, you're racist. And that's not true, although you could not want immigration. On that basis. On that basis. Right. But as an American citizen, from a political standpoint, uh, as a, as a, from, from an intellectual standpoint and, and a practical strategic standpoint, you don't have to be a racist to not want unconstrained, unfettered immigration. That, those two things aren't synonymous. That's ridiculous. But there are people out there who serve as the cog in the machine, uh, the cog in the, the wheel of the narrative that say, we don't want Muslims or blacks or Jews or, or what, you know, we want a white Christian nation. And let's just talk about that. I mean, I don't, first of all, my grandmother, my grandmother was a first generation immigrant from Norway in the 1930s, 30s, 40s. Um, she's whiter than Nick Fuentes. She didn't got a funky Spanish last name like Fuentes. Her last name was Auri. Norwegian, real Norwegian, Nordic. She had a Nordic last name. The, the, you know, the pronunciation where the letters are, you know, the letters are different, okay? This, she was a real rune type of woman. And, uh, I mean, they were Quakers. You know, don't give me, so, the, you know, these Let's people, make it even more complicated. That is complicated. Uh, uh, but. A Norwegian Quaker. A Norwegian Quaker, yeah. They were already on the on the weird, strange side of things. But. The point is, as far as racial genetic um, discussions go, the Norwegians were always considered by the Aryans to be pure of blood. Historically speaking, that was the, the ideal. Whiteness was Scandinavian whiteness. Blonde hair, blue eyes. It's talked about at great length in a number of Nazi, uh, Aryan uh, type of history, literature. And so what would I be? I mean, if, you, if you're going to say that it's genetic, at the point where you, at the point, I mean, if you're, are, are, is the claim that once you mix that genetic material with any other genetic material, then it becomes dis, um, you know, discounted? It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, the, the, the story doesn't make sense is what I'm saying. It's like the story about the Jews. They say, and I heard Stu Peters say, basically, in effect, he was saying that the uh, the Jews of Europe or the Ashkenazi Jews are not the real Jews, that they picked up the faith tradition from Jews that were more native to um, the Middle East or to the, the, the Holy Land, to Israel or, you know, the biblical Israel. 
Okay. I mean, let's just be, let's just cut through the bullshit. Israel is a stone's throw from Africa. They actually created the Suez Canal, you could say, to split Israel from Africa, right? I mean, that you could make that argument that there was, there was a concerted effort by the crown to split the Middle East from Africa as to kind of say, you know, this ain't really Africa. These people aren't really black. But that whole Mediterranean area is, is kind of uh, black. 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 Yeah, I mean, you, you can go look at the story in the American Mafia, the relationship between Bumpy Johnson, the Harlem kingpin, and the, the, the infamous Lucky Luciano, who created the, the first uh, American Mafia with Jewish Meyer Lansky, the commission, the whole deal. And Luci- Luciano made a concession for, for Bumpy Johnson to have ends with made guys, with guys who had actually taken the oath. Number one, because the commission had already made a concession that they were going to have Jews and Irish in a thing that was supposed to be Sicilian. So there was already, the door was already open, but blacks were still out, right? Jewish, Irish, that was cool. The blacks, that wasn't cool. But Bumpy Johnson was allowed in and it, it it was believed that Lucky um, knew Bumpy or met him in Sing Sing and that he said when he came out that his skin is the same. You see my skin? My skin is his skin. And Lucky was a more darker Italian because he was from Sicily, southern Italy. And there's all the stories in the history that you do the famous... Uh, true romance. True romance in the end where, where uh, you know, the, Christopher Walken is, is, you know, getting the, the history of Italians and saying that the Moors... You know, that that whole story of the Moors crossing the Mediterranean. It's great. I mean, you could take a rock. You really can. But you could take it, theoretically speaking, it's a pond. The Mediterranean Sea is not a little body water, but it's not huge either, okay? You could take a rowboat across that thing in and some people spots. People did. And people did. Um, so the whole idea that this area is going to be whittled down to these very hard-line categorizations is a lie to begin with. And so we don't know. We don't know. Even if you want to go back to the basic scientific categorization of Negroid, Caucasoid, Mongoloid, okay? That's as scientific as you get down at the base. There's three master races, Negroid, Caucasoid, Mongoloid. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, th- there's a lot of murky water in there. Right. I mean, it, uh, once you mix, what, what, what do I become? And so to pretend like there's a way, like Nick, for example, first off, how'd you get the last name Fuentes? And what do you think? Who do you think the Spanish are? Do you think the Spanish are Germanic? Do you think the Spanish are? I think the Moors made it all the way to Spain, if I remember are, correctly. Do you think the Spanish are Irish? Do you think the Spanish are, are British? I mean, what do they think? What they're trying to say on the dissident right is that we're going to whittle this identity back down to being white based on the fact that the leftists and the Marxists have created this non-white classification politically. There's nothing remotely practical about that. I'm not even talking about the morality of it. It's not even practical. I don't define myself by what my enemies say about me or call me. That is a sign of self-loathing and self-hatred in and of itself. I don't let my enemies define the terms of the game. Non-white is not a real thing. It's some bullshit Marxist identity politics game. that. The, so the response isn't, oh, well, if they're going to do that, then we're white people. Even though it's a hodgepodge to begin with, we all need to stick together. Who? Who is it? 
And how do you think that's going to be formidable in the end? Because there's no real tie. And that's part of the problem of whiteness in America to begin with. There is no real whiteness. Now, blackness is slightly different because blackness was categorized by a superstructure of government that said, if you have a certain amount of color to you, then you're in with them. And our political procedures and our our laws and and legislation are going to reflect such. So blackness as an identity is a different thing. And it's, it's also different because as you get darker, it, it, there's a visual aspect to it, let's say, right? Okay, whether you're black, Cuban, Haitian, African, you know, uh, some people in the Philippines are darker than me. They're Asian. They're mongoloids. There's some people that are Samoan, Polynesian, that are darker than me. There's some people who were Native American, darker than me. So how are we even going to define this thing? We can't. That's, why would we? Why would we get caught up in this? We're Americans. America's founding fathers, what these white men wrote down was a, 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 stru- a philosophical framework that would eventually allow us to evolve past the Darwinism that existed in their you know, in their former uh, hierarchy of government and politics. Very important idea that we get that sorted out. Let's just pick on the Jews, because as a Jewish man, I can pick on them. Mm-hmm. Ethno-nationalism is ethno-nationalism, based on a presumed identification through a race, which is questionable. Not to agree with Stu Peters, but who are these people? Right? I mean, I'm talking about genetically. Let's leave that on the side for a second. We live in a country, everybody needs to read our founding documents and read them as if they're divinely inspired because they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? We have the opportunity as Americans to transcend this Darwinist concept, which orders people in some kind of genetic hierarchy which is a scam and a bullshit story, really just justifying slavery. That's all it is. It's a, you know, I'm a Darwinist. There's a evolution. And if I'm strong enough to make you my slave because I'm more evolved than you are, that justifies me making you a slave. This is so ridiculous. There, you know, and those of us, that want to really think this thing through, who are going to stand on biblical verse, need to go back into the Old Testament. There is two kinds of slavery that is sanctified in the Old Testament, which is you can give yourself to work off a debt or if you happen to be captured in a war. Indentured servitude and prisoners of war. That's correct. But this kind of human kidnapping you're to be put to death on the spot for that. That's a sin of the highest order. I don't even know what these people are talking about sometimes. I mean, it's just, we, the whole... It's so, no, it's so obvious that the people who are listening to them or following them actually didn't read the scripture themselves. They need to. Just, let's just go back. They didn't read the scripture or the, or the documents, the America's founding oh, the, documents. Our founding documents are so divinely inspiring yeah. and beautiful and it makes us all united under a set of ideas, not based on our presumed genetic whatever. 
you know, it's so angering to me. And then I get it. There's and I all these things are running through my head. Like I was, I realized that there's a whole effort now to make Jesus not a Jew. I mean, really? What, yo, they he's were a, saying he's a Palestinian, Galilean. He's Whoa. a Galilean. Who does? What does if that he was mean? a Galilean and he wasn't interested in the future of the Jewish people, why did he go to Jerusalem? I mean, why didn't he go up to Syria? Wait, 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 wait. What, what do they mean? There's a big effort being made in certain circles. But what is that? But that first, again, we're at a place that this is a non-starter. There were Jews that lived in Galilee. Galilee. They were all Jews. Well, even No, but even there were other people. You can't. It, it doesn't. Dis, it doesn't debunk that he was a Jew because he was a, a, Gal, a they, Galilean. They want the the impetus is to set Jesus apart. I'm reading people saying that Christianity's been defiled by the Apostle Paul because he was a Jew. Now I'm a Jew that uh-huh. I'm a Jew that knows Christ. I do. Saint every, Paul. Saint Paul. Who's responsible? Saint Paul, the man that's responsible for evangel for e- evangelizing the entire European culture with Christianity. That's yes, he's no. That's good. the guy who because he's Jewish, he's somehow perverted. I Christ. mean, no matter how no matter how far down the rabbit hole they want to go, it's still an indictment of them. Why didn't they? Why why didn't they? Uh, why didn't they throw off uh, Paul's uh, ministry? Well, they're trying to now because he's Jewish, right? But uh, just uh, but again. It does, you cannot go back ex post facto and exonerate yourself of any and all culpability. And what, and what, what world, what logical fallacy is that? Let's get down to the nitty gritty. These people believe that they can go back into history without Christ or without God, without redemption, without repentance, and just change the history or change their role in it on a genetic basis. European, Paul was. A Jew. It's true. He went into your, he was. Please say it again. Yeah. Could you please say that again? St. Paul was a Jew. Thank you. Okay. I mean, that's not even arguable. Well, no, they're arguing that he perverted Christ's message. St. Paul. Okay. F- fine. That That's a whole nother argument. But the point is he was a Jew. The second point to make is his evangelical work into Europe was is and is solely responsible for Europe eventually becoming a Christian polity. I mean, Peter too, don't get me wrong, but Peter was a Jew too. I mean, they're from the same crew. These, these people, you know, they're, they're, they're brothers. I mean, they're like brothers, you know? So I don't, I don't quite understand how, if Paul perverted the message all along the way, why didn't the, why didn't the supreme or master race of white of white, uh, you know, higher evolved IQ, uh, you know, citizens there in, in greater Europe rejected. Well, they, they, they did. It's called Protestantism. Yes. They yeah. did reject it. Yeah, but then you got to throw out the gospel and the scriptures. Well, guess what? Have you been to uh, any 501c3 churches been. lately? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's correct. That's it. But, they, but they play the game because they say scripture, scripture, scripture. No, Martin Luther, hold on, wait a minute. Let's be clear about this. Martin Luther's um, reformation wasn't a rejection of the scripture in general. It was a re- rejection of the church, the, the, the physical institution of the Catholic church or the Anglican church. One could say it was a it wasn't elevation about, of scripture. They, yes. W- 
in in theory, that's in, what. He, yes, but just like we know with the Marxists, the Marxists isn't to actually redistribute the wealth for the poor; it's to take over the levels of power from the rich and to reject new God. masters. New masters, right? Right. This is. I don't think that Martin Luther was actually re- rejecting the church in the first place. I think he's doing exactly what his his uh, predecessors like it, are doing now. They're it, rejecting the, the the gospel altogether. Well, but maybe at that time it's a little bit like criticizing your political leaders, because there was an alliance at the time between the. Ch- We're going to go all the way down the rabbit hole, aren't we? We're getting close to. I'm t- better with the McAllen. <laughs> We're getting right. We're. <laughs> To all the viewers and listeners, we're just sitting here. If your leaders don't get better when they drink scotch, they shouldn't be your leaders. That's a great one. I like that. Mm -hmm. If you can't drink and hold your liquor. You know, I was talking to someone that we both love. You can't drink. You might say something you regret. And I said, no, not me. I'll be just as good on the McAllen as I am straight. Now, we're not advocating drinking every time. But this is the 150th episode. But, but what's in the, furthermore, what's wrong with saying something you may regret? That's a good point. I don't agree with that premise to begin well, with. Well, you know, this is an interesting thing because we've been talking now for several years, and here's what's come out of it for me. Forget about, for a second, all of this esoteric investigation that we're enjoying together in front of our audience and bringing our audience into it. It's great. Because this is something that's been missing in American society. Well, they better damn well be thinking about it. Because I guarantee you the people who are getting getting large platforms, they've thought about it. It matters. Yeah. But what we've really done, I think the two of us, and I'm going to say you because you're the leader. Because after all, you are the 32-year-old potential leader, future leader, current leader. You did a great job for me in diagnosing the globalist ideology. And you broke it down into three very succinct and easy pieces. And this is for me, a low-information voter, because I didn't get it. Climate change, social equity, democracy. You broke that down beautifully. And I spent months trying to reverse each one of those. And then one day I realized, I don't have to reverse that. That's what they're selling. Mm-hmm. Let them sell their soap. We need our own product, and our product is spiritual and physical borders, paying down this debt so we can have equity, and not bullshit equity, real equity, money in our pocket as American citizens. We want equity instead of debt. Assets. Assets. We want spiritual borders first and then physical borders, because if we had spiritual borders, we'd have never had a problem with this border, which goes back to your concept or your comment about how the country was lost. Because if we would have had people at the helm that had spiritual borders, they wouldn't have opened up our physical borders. They didn't have spiritual borders. So we need spiritual and physical borders. We need assets instead of debt. Mm-hmm. And we need to bring these wars to an end. So we have a very clear to start. We have a very clear product to sell now, don't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. So And that starting point, that's to start, and that starting point is going to take us twenty five years. It can start today. We can make great headway in two, three, four years, but to reverse what they've done over since the 1960s, since really the inception of the Federal Reserve, 
since the inception of the Federal Reserve to undo what they've done is going to take us 25 years. So we better get started. You might say it's since the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Absolutely. You could go that far. That was it. That was a what? Because what happened after that was was the Fourteenth Amendment. You, if you really wanted to, we we could go all the way back and say that the great, the great sin, the the original sin, of our founding fathers, was to write a document that basically articulated the necessity to be willing to die for freedom, but were unwilling to. Were unwilling to follow their heart when it came to the slave issue out of fear of King George's retaliation. You think it was King George's retaliation? Well, whoever, the king. I think they were just afraid that if they freed the slaves, they feared the retribution of those slaves. No. You don't think so? No, come on. They had already knocked, they already went to work on the Native Americans. How much, how much further could the slaves go? If you freed them? They'd be in a similar position as the Native Americans. Mind you now, the Native Americans were much more organized, too, I think. In my opinion, the Native Americans— How how were they afraid of King George's retribution? It's believed that Thomas Jefferson wrote in his personal diaries and journals that he and at least 11 of the other original 13 colonies' leaders were against the idea of slavery on on a— wide basis, just generally, and they wanted to write into the original founding documents outlawing slavery as a spiritual and moral matter. But they didn't because they didn't think they would be able to get the nation up and running fighting a war against the the crown at that time if they outlawed slavery. Part of the reason being supposedly, as it's told, is when you're in debt to the bank, you didn't have the right to sell your slaves because it'd be like that. That's the colla- that's the collateral. That's the collateral, right? So, and there is the real indictment of the banking system. That's very that, interesting. Yeah. So that that's that's a belief. Um, some people will say it's not true. You know, stupid. I like to think because of the other things the founding fathers wrote in those documents and how it eventually evolved into an idea that was used to abolish slavery and in segregation. You know, I can look at the results and infer the motive. And for all these people who say that the Constitution wasn't written for black people, without it, we wouldn't be free. Without it, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have ended segregation. So, actually, I think the Constitution was written for black people in, in some sense. You know, this is something that should be highlighted, and I've said this for a long time. I agree with you because it's a self-correcting document. But I'm, I've been watching Stu Peters. I'm just going to ask you a question as a, as a young black leader. Mm-hmm. Stu Peters has been posting that Jewish people were the primary slave owners in the South. Yeah. Does that resonate with you at all? I think, I think what, he's, what he's trying to say is, well. Maybe what, Stu will come on. Here, here, I, hope he, I hope he hears all this and comes on. I want the, to talk here's about the thing. it with him. Here's the thing. It's a fickle thing to talk about ownership. We got to be, you know, this this takes a kind of forensic accounting that many of us aren't well informed enough, nor do we even have the ability to find the information we need to make such a, a claim. I mean, who actually owned the slaves? So you're talking about the bank collateral, the collateral, the bank owned them, unless the, unless the slave plantation owner paid was off. was paid off completely and operating independently. 
Now, if there was a wide basis of bank-loaned slave plantations, bank-leveraged slave plantations, then maybe there was a significant Jewish... Uh, financing. Financing, yeah, absolutely. But where that Jewish financing came from, if it stems back to Europe, then it still stems back to the monarchy, which was white. So Stu can go fuck himself because, you know, again, you're not getting out of it, buddy. Now, guess who can be out of it? The American black man. <laughs> except those American black men that actually own slaves. Own slaves. Yeah. <laughs> and the African black men who helped round them up. So we're not trying to we're not trying to get anybody out of the, the, the oh, their responsibility. The, you're right back to what I said. We're we're pointing out everybody's speck in their eyes. We got these giant logs in our own eyes. Mm-hmm. Why as American citizens can't we look at that document and recognize that those rights are not granted to us to go chase whatever. 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 I mean, because we have given over to sin in our country in a very, you know, to, to, I was going to go it's funny. It's another let info me, war. Go ahead. Well, go let, ahead. Me get, let me get really serious. Okay. We're fucked. We're just fucked. What do you mean? Our country's fucked. We're fucked. No. No, we're fucked unless one thing. Mm-hmm. If each one of us takes the spiritual responsibility of refining ourselves. Yes. Because then all these problems would disappear, uh, not magically, miraculously. Because my generation, mine, took the seals off the seven seals. My generation. Before, all this shit was illegal. Yeah. So at least if you did it, you know you were doing something that was illegal. Like what? Oh, like fucking the next door neighbor's daughter. We knew it was not the right thing to do. Right. But we did it anyhow for like the last 5,000 years. King David. Mm-hmm. King David sent his number one advisor into war to die. And the man died serving his king mm-hmm. so he could take his woman. And he paid for that shit. But right? Paid for that shit. Lost his, lost his child. Well, my, but, my, but my point is, for everybody out there that's listening, that's my age, we legalized it. All of it. It's all legalized. Mm. And that gives the young people the idea that these things are not wrong, and that broke open the seals. So if we're going to close these seals, all we have to do is in our own behavior make some concessions to faith. Faith has a price. That's the free will point of it. If you want to be in communion with your creator, if you want to pursue life and liberty mm. in the pursuit of happiness, if that's your path, you have to give up some unholy uh, habits, so to speak. And I, I'm just encouraging everybody to play with this. I mean, it's us. We can, there's this whole political thing that we're involved in. You're involved in it. I'm involved yeah, in it. Yeah. It's very getting into the street kind of a thing now. It's getting a little bit brass knuckly, right? Yeah. It's for real. As it should. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in our own personal lives, it's about our personal conduct and what we do. Well, and also, but let's not conflate these two things. This And this is where, the, the again, the pendulum swing. You know, it, it's, it's funny. What makes a great leader a great leader is their ability to be decisive. Um, somewhat irrespective of the peanut gallery or the crowd. 
to understand the, the broad psychology and deep desires of the crowd, but, but never letting the, the pitfalls and the weaknesses and flaws of the crowd define their define, ideology, define the way they think and the yes, way they behave. That's, right? What you're saying is exactly how we've gone mm-hmm. wrong. Yes. Taking polls and then uh, attributing, or attributing our political positions to what, well, this is democracy. I was just looking at Amy Klobuchar. She put up a tweet about democracy. Mm-hmm. We're a republic. That's number one. The info war is that deep. I mean, let's get the words right. We're not a democracy. And why aren't we a democracy? Because the founding fathers knew that that was a mob, 50 plus one. Hey, that's... Mob rule. Well, yeah, and if the mob was going to rule with righteousness and dignity, that would be great. But the founding fathers knew. Human nature. Human nature has its pitfalls, right? So all I'm trying to say... Man's nature is to commiserate and come together in the communion of sin. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was man's nature up till this point. If we want to maintain our freedom, and I want my freedom, and what I'm doing on the Professor Penn podcast, I'm trying to encourage my audience to go up those St. Thomas Aquinas steps to refine their behavior because I'm doing it. I, and that's the difference between me and some of these people like Representative Emmer, mm-hmm. who's a liar. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth, even if it's not fashionable. You know, you're, you're running for, US, for the Senate. Yeah. Okay, I'd rather see you lose and tell the truth than win and tell a lie. And what we've done in our country, we got the third rail of politics. There's shit we can't talk about. Mm. Oh, well, g- g- look where it's taken us. Right. We're on the verge of complete chaos and ruin. I think if we all, every single person here in this, just started with telling the truth to themselves. You got to start with yourself, that inner voice. Don't bullshit yourself. We all bullshit ourselves at some point in our lives. We grow up. We go through those steps. I'm very honest with myself. It feels great. I'm liberated. I'm, I'll make a statement. I'm liberating myself from sin. I want to see where it takes me. It's an experiment. It's an experiment in faith. That, that's what those steps are all about. It's not about getting to the top of the heap. It's about the journey to get there. I'm very happy with my efforts in this regard. And the reason I'm doing it is because <laughs> we're all going to die and I want to be saved at the end. I'm not thinking about convincing anybody. I don't give a shit what we do politically. I just want to be saved myself. Now, if in that process I can inspire people to do the same thing to in their own way, based on their own suffering, to work their way up those that step, to go into communion with God, which is what our Constitution gives us the opportunity to do. Wow, how quickly could we turn this country around if everyone was motivated to be a nation of priests? If we're the new Jerusalem, Stu, the Jews, oh, this is another thing that really fucking pisses me off. You know, wherever, Mike Tyson, I'm going to play this on my podcast next Tuesday night. Mike Tyson has a beautiful piece where he talks about yeah, I'm knocking all these people out. I'm super, 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 I know the hand of God is upon me. Mm-hmm. And he looks at the camera and says, and you know if the hand of God's on you? Here comes the devil. Here comes the devil. The devil's not going to waste. If you're sitting around doing nothing, the devil doesn't need to waste his time with you. That's why it says God spits the lukewarm out. Mm. 
What we're trying to do is refine ourselves as a political community. And of course, the devil is going to come, or evil, or however you want to talk about it, that the, the human nature, the Jews corrupted, the Catholic Church corrupted, the Protestants. Oh, you Protestants? Hey, you guys were the slave owners down south. Now, you might not have financed the deal, but you were the sons of bitches with the whips and the, and the shackles. So the Protestants had a problem. Look at the Chinese. They don't believe in God. Every one of these groups has run off the rails. How did that happen? How did everybody simultaneously run off the rails? And then on top of it, we all hate each other, mm. and it's your reason, it's your fault that we're off the rails. You know, there's a hidden hand here, and that hidden hand, Stu and Nick, is the division that keeps the common people, the feudal slaves that have been dominated by a handful of masters since time immemorial. They're keeping us apart. You know, there's so few of them that their only power... Do you know the British ruled India? Their, argue, their argument is that those people have always been Jewish. They're not Jewish. <laughs> they, they're not... No, I don't mean Jewish how you mean Jewish. I know they're not Jewish like God, believing in God Jewish. I mean, it's ridiculous to say that the people who have deployed the strategy of divide and conquer have always been Jewish from the beginning. That's ridiculous in the, and from the outset. First off... The Jews were slaves to Pharaoh. Let's go look at the pharaohs. Yeah, first off, yeah. The, the Egypt, I mean, it's just such a small little, it's just a little converted, perverted little cuck way to think about society to fit your little narrative. And it's corny, you know? And, and I, don't mean to, I don't mean to give the, these people more, more time than they deserve, but, but what you have to understand, and this is what I told somebody the other day, this is whether or not you know Nick Fuentes, like Nick Fuentes, take him serious or not, whether you, uh, you know, take these dissident, what I think is Fed-run neo-Nazi groups seriously, the point is is that there's enough momentum, there's enough narrative to scare off common American citizens who are having their own struggle in their journey with faith versus fear, right? And I can't, can't exonerate them either because... If you're so afraid, and this is part of my ministry and my work with the black community, which is why when you're neocon Republicans like Liz Collins and the rest of the the uh, the, the the fall the establishment of, here in the, Minnesota, the Alpha News fall of the Minneapolis types, you know, say, didn't you lead a protest during the George Floyd riots? Yeah, motherfucker, where were you? If you believe in America, if you believe in God, I mean, really believe in America's ideas and believe in God, you'll go preach them anywhere. And I found myself in the belly of the beast, and we prayed. And I know there are a bunch of secular, Marxist, liberal, you know, millennial white people out there who probably not only don't believe in the idea of God, but really detest the idea of God, have a very stout, secular worldview. But they still bowed their head in even pseudo-respect, if that's what it was. But, but I wasn't shunned. Now they made little subversive you know, actions, took little subversive actions to try and get me from a position of, of effectiveness and influence, uh, you know, behind the scenes. But as to was predicted in Scripture, we're going to be persecuted in Christ's name. I mean, you're not getting out of it. If Christ couldn't get out of it, what makes you think you're getting out of it? And that's the whole point. Oh, woe is the white man. It's like, 
Now, I thought when Michael Eric Dyson did the debate with Jordan Peterson, he called Jordan Peterson a mean white man. I thought that was completely inappropriate. It was intellectually dishonest. But these people, like the Nick Fuentes, are actually the, the sort of citizen boots on the ground grassroots representation or, or perceived uh, ideology that Michael Eric Dyson is trying to draw from, even though he's shilling, right? So the shilling is just happening on both sides, and it's hard for people to understand that because naturally as humans, we want to gravitate to one side. It feels safer to get to one side than to try and balance in, in, the, in the middle with, with righteousness and, and dignity and, and faith. It's better to just lean to one side and go, the Alpha News types is like, why, weren't, why, why didn't you go into the, where were all the Republicans and conservatives? Oh, we got jobs, or we got this, or we got that. What? Where were you? I took people to the Fed, tried to teach them about economic and financial Ponzi schemes that's being run by the government and our elite. Um, I brought people to sports institutions like U.S. Bank Stadium of the Minnesota Vikings, heralded that everybody loves their sports, their local sports teams. Sports is the new religion in some ways. And when it comes to football, it's actually religious because it's on Sunday. But that's, that's good. But it's a replacement culture. It's a replace. Yeah. We're talking about replacement theory, replacing your, your religion and your faith with sports and gambling is, is the real, I guess all we got to do is ask people, do you hurry through your service so you can get home in time for kickoff? Then you're a cuck. You're really fucked up. Yeah. You're a cuck. Um, but my, my, again, We have, many have uh, given up on what it really means to be American and Christian, and that's the problem. We've been armed with the ideas to go anywhere and preach. And that doesn't mean we should go let people kill us. A lot of of Republicans, I hear a lot of conservatives say, well, it's not safe. It's not, right. 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 It's not safe. No, it's and no, but that's in some cases it's an exaggeration. In some cases it's not. It ain't safe to go to the South Side of Chicago. That's a factual statement. But everywhere ain't like the South Side of Chicago. And I don't see many Christians and, and people who believe in the Constitution standing up and going into the BPOU of the West Metro suburbs of Minneapolis, let alone the heart of the North Side. You people aren't even standing up in the fucking caucus meetings. Blame it on the Jews. Blame it on the Jews. The Catholics. Or, or just concede. Whatever. Just concede and go, we'll fund the Ukraine. What what what's your boy's name? Let's let's give him some airtime. The guy that they're fine that they I think they found for this uh C D to, to run against Dean. Oh, Quentin Whitrock. Quint what's his name? Quentin Whitrock. Quentin Rickrock. Yeah. Quentin Whitrock. Yeah. He's not running against Dean. Dean's done. Right. It's Kelly the doctor. The doctor Kelly Morton. Running for Mortensen. Dean's seat. Running for Dean's seat. Yeah, he's all pro war in Ukraine. Pro, you know, anybody stands up in front of me, I have five children, and starts justifying American adventurism as if it's like protecting democracy. Mm-hmm. If you're that fucking stupid at this point, you're not. Where's the t shirt spit on the floor? I want that t shirt. I'm going to wear that. Under your I'm suit? Gonna, no, I'm going to pull off my suit like Superman when those people show up 
and I'm going to spit on the floor. Those people are so bad. They're, I mean, they're dumb or they're evil. I don't care which. The result's the same. My mm. children are at risk. I mean, I'm ready to go myself. I'll go right any place we got to go. I'm right with you. But my children, they're like a little tender. I got 17-year-olds. I want to have a chance to grow up and make a decision about this stuff. These people are dragging us in to a nuclear holocaust. That's what I want to talk about to, 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 to end here. I want to make sure it's under two hours so we can stream it on Twitter. Twitter only allows me to stream the podcast if it's under two hours. We got about 30 minutes. Um, I always Alexander wonder, Dugan. I always wonder when we're talking if we're making any sense. Well, but then when it comes not. back, when we play back, Sounds pretty good. Of course we're not. I mean, I don't even know what I'm saying. I, I Honestly, I just think people want to go to one side of the boat or the other. You know, sometimes. Before they just fall gonna, the fuck off. We're going to have to have one of those 2 o'clock in the morning conversations when we're just all the way out. But you, you know what I mean? I mean, people, people really, you know, they like when the boat's rocked one way. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, hey, I'll give you an example. When I'm flying on an airplane. I actually don't, I had this weird, I have this weird uh, deal with flying where I never mind when we're coming down. I don't like when we're going up. I don't like takeoff. And part of the reason I don't like takeoff is because you tilt it back. You're, you're hanging, right? You're hanging backwards. And, it, you know, when you play a sport and you, and you understand your body, you understand when your body's in vulnerable position. And this position? Not good. Not good. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Good thing it doesn't last that long when you're flying, but but I never never have a problem when you're landing. And I mean, it doesn't matter how we're landing. I mean, it could be shaky. The, you know, the plane turns and it kind of descends while it turns, and you get that that strange dropping feeling. And my mindset is just, oh shit, we're coming down now, one way or another. No more suspense. The suspense is what kills you. And sometimes nothing's more suspenseful than the plane just kind of going steady, straight, but it just kind of could be a surprise right up the road. You know, it kind of just <laughs> up and down a little bit. I hate that. I hate that. But I think, you know, it's. It, I say that as a, a joking, you know, microcosm of, of people's psychology. People would rather get drawn to one side and just hang on for dear life than have to do this balancing act. You know, I don't think, you know, balancing is great. You know, we've, the America First movement, if it's going to be a long-term legitimate movement, it's not balancing. Mm. It's completely disconnected from the balance. Mm. You know, we had this comment, you know, no, one day we'll have to explain the Pashtuns and the Republicans, the Democrats and the... Go Re ahead. Nah. Go ahead. It's too deep. No, no, no. It's a perfect segue. You mean the... Outer, to Alexander Dugan and the, the nuclear the, war. The outer bastion of the... Well, see, the Pashtuns, okay? Mm -hmm. Got to go back. Look at the Professor Penn podcast on Ronald Reagan where the Pashtuns were in the White House. The Mujahideen. They were there, yes. The great the, Jack Posobiec tweeted it, and he said, oops, that picture. Oh, Reagan I was up before Jack. I mean, I'd like to think Jack was watching the podcast, but Jack's got his own thing going on. But yes, they actually showed up, started under the Jimmy Carter administration, mm -hmm. because, you know, there was the great invasion of Afghanistan by the Russian Empire. We called it the USSR. That was branding. It was the Russians. Fuck this USSR thing. It's misleading. So the Russians invaded Afghanistan because it's a very critical transit point in Central Asia. 
and they put a guy in there named Najibula, their own little kind of rump dictator, and he was a Marxist Afghan, which pissed off those Muslims, because, you know, hey, they're real clear on that kind of stuff. You don't believe in Allah? Off with your head. Another group, convert or die. Anyhow, uh, the Pashtuns are the predominant group in there, and they went right on the payroll of the CIA, mm-hmm. and that's where Osama bin Laden came from, because we, we the people, paid to train these folks, not because we gave a shit about the Afghans, because we wanted to throw the Russians out of Afghanistan, because it was the great game, the great power game. Mm-hmm. And of course, as soon as the Russians lost, we abandoned Afghanistan. We just whoop, pulled out, left all this weaponry there and money there. Oh, didn't we just do that again recently? Mm-hmm. In other words, like they had a beta program, and now they had a, you know, actual deal. 2.0. It's like incredible how this stuff repeats itself. And then they used that weaponry to take over the country, and uh, 9-11. And for those of the people who think 9-11 is different, fine, let's just stick with the narrative. It was Osama bin Laden. But he was on the CIA payroll. Now, he was a Saudi, but who he was leading he was... was your, but he was, your, he was your mini, wasn't he? No, he was a Saudi. No, He's, I think he was... Ah, your... You can look it up. His father is one of the most important Saudi businessmen. He br- His father built all the infrastructure. No, I know they lived, but no, he was a Saudi oh. national. He was but a, they were Yemeni by birth? Yemeni ethnic. I wonder that ha- what that has to do with the Houthis and the blowfish. Probably a lot. We probably need to look it up. Maybe. Yeah. But the point is, the Pashtuns, which were, were the primary ethnic group in Afghanistan that the CIA funded, mm-hmm. that's just like the Republicans. They were defending the empire. Right? So we got to look deeply into what the fuck is going on. Like I said, a bombshell, and it flew on by. What I said was, everybody, we have this lore that two American presidents died 50 years to the day after they signed the Declaration of Independence, two of the most important figures in American history, Mm -hmm. which, of course, we're not taught about. You know, Adams and Jefferson can't get, you know, you could just spend the next year reading John uh, Jefferson's letters. They both died on July 4th. And we go, oh, that's great. No. This is how Satanists operate. Their goal is to reverse Christ. The establishment of America was a repudiation of the divine right of kings in its alliance with the Catholic Church. America was established as a Protestant nation protesting, protesting the imposition of a group telling people how to think and to live, like we're living with now. We got a group telling us now how we're supposed to think and live. The American experience is a repudiation of that. It's about personal freedom. Freedom. Mm. Freedom. And what do the Satanists do? They kill both of them on the same day to reverse that freedom process. Mm. And if you go back and look, we had a bunch of presidents that died mysteriously in office, like Zachary Taylor, died just soon after being inaugurated. And his inauguration address was a repudiation of the Europeans. Monroe, James Monroe, the Monroe Doctrine, died in office. Why? The Monroe Doctrine was a repudiation of the crown heads of Europe. So we have this beautiful window of opportunity to be free 
and we're giving it up because we'd rather get high. It's really very frustrating for those of us that would like to be free. So the Pashtuns, the Republicans, the, the neocon Republicans are the same people. They're defending this empire, and this empire is about oligarchy. It's about top-down control. I don't want to live in that world. I want every American citizen to realize they're free. Why would anybody give up their freedom? You know, I can't understand it. Mm. And I want to say before we run out of time, because we're going to start talking about Dugan and war and all the things that are going on. You know, I want to just say this to Stu Peters. You don't know anything about being a Jew, Stu. I do. I prayed with Holocaust survivors. These people were not perverse. They were not interested in world domination. They were not interested in economic exploitation of anyone. They were very relatively poor. They didn't, my family did not seek financial success. We prayed three times a day like the Muslims. Our lives were dedicated to walking up that ladder to find some kind of communion with God. I don't know what these people are talking about. Like all Jews are this horrible group of exploiters. Yeah. I hate that. You know, and I want to say this before we get into this last piece. Abraham argued with God. Now think about how ballsy that shit is to save Sodom and Gomorrah for 50 righteous men. If there's 50 righteous Jews, stop before they all get killed because there could be 50 righteous men in there. I'm not saying I'm one of them, but they're there. I knew them. They prayed. They were humble. They were kind. They were giving. They visited the sick. They gave charity to the poor. Why would we impugn that? Why not impugn the people that gave up their faith and became assholes? Oh, I'm okay with that. And we do that on both of our... David Frum. David Frum. 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 Very religious. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, David. You're not religious. <laughs> You're a neocon. And I'd like him to come on. I'd love to talk to any of these people. Yeah. I'm ready to talk to any of them, anytime, anywhere. Steve did a great job, though. Steve did a great job. The happy warrior. You know, some of the looks on us. Some of the looks on his face. The greatest moment in the debate between Steve and David Frum was uh, in the beginning when the heckler wanted to wanted to interrupt Steve's opening statements, and uh, Steve proceeds to to wait it out while the 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 moderator deals with the you know with the the, the protester. And uh, the moder the clock had already began to run, and it was probably down a minute and a half from the eight minutes. You could see it on the stage there, and the moderator goes, "And we're going to give you the full time." And Steve goes, "Nope." Nope, nope, I'm going to play by the rules. That's a man who you can follow. Just that. Just that little moment as I saw that, and this motherfucker's the real deal. Three ideas. <laughs> Borders, spiritual and physical. Assets instead of debt for the American people. And nothing makes you poor like war. Poor spiritually and poor financially. Let's end the wars. You don't need a long time to say that, do you? Mm. Very simple, isn't it? Mm. Is that not the America first ideology? And what American would reject that? What American is going to embrace no spiritual borders? Because that person is perverse. Mm. What American would prefer liability instead of asset? And what American would prefer war to peace? 
That's so anti-liberal as to be bizarre. But you wanted to bring up Dugan. Dugan said, hey, why not nuclear weapons, right? That's where you want to go? Please. Well, we're pushing the Russians to the breaking point. Mm. I mean, we're pushing them so hard. And when I say we, it's we the people because we don't have any control of our government. There's a government that's beneath our elected officials that's running everything, and we're playing this kind of uh, theater with these elected people. We need, as you said, it's about saying the right thing at the right time. We need to get back control of our government because our current government is pushing the world to an unnecessary, possibly nuclear war. Yeah. And Dugan just said, hey, you know what? Fuck you people. If you don't stop, we're going to go. Keep going. Keep going. Because we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing all over the world. Now, maybe many of you might not know this, but the North Koreans bombed the piss out of a South Korean island last night. This goes up Friday. This happened on Thursday. The ongoing conflict in the Red Sea with the Hooties, Royce, Royce likes to say Hootie and the Blowfish. I like that. That's ongoing. We have Operation Prosperity Guardian, which is about 20 nations. They're getting ready to lay waste to the Yemenis. Maybe we have to check out where Osama came from. That might have something to do with it. You know, some score settling, so to speak. The Israelis are pushing on Hezbollah. For those of you who are not following the news carefully, there is a very famous Iranian general in the Revolutionary Guard. His name was Soleimani. President Trump was quite uh, proud of killing this guy. And every year, because he was a martyr for the Iranian people, they have a big religious gathering for him on the anniversary of his death. And that was bombed this week, and a couple hundred, well, a hundred people were killed and hundreds were injured. This is the kind of stuff that makes people not think clearly. You know, when you kill people in their religious mode, you know, kill people in church, they don't think clearly afterwards. So all over the world, there's this escalation of tensions. The Ukrainians aren't backing down. They're bombing the piss out of Russian cities. And we're sitting here like dummies watching football. I mean, there's almost nothing on the mainstream media news about all this. You got to go off-road to find it. Go off-road. The information is there. Find it and realize your life is at risk. You say, oh, I'm going to give up. No, don't give up. Caucuses are coming. Get involved. Yeah. Be a delegate. You are a self-governing American citizen. They only can do this because you, American people gave up. Do you agree with that statement? I would say, and I warned people before when I was still frequenting, frequent, freak, frequenting, frequenting, freak. I'm a, I'm a full glass of McAllen in, and I don't drink often. So, um, when I was still on Fearless with Jason, I warned people that the people that the uh, the the enemies that we're going to face in this chapter of American history are dangerous for the sole reason that they have national honor. They have they have national honor. They believe in their identity and they believe in their nation's existence and survival. And that is the Russians and that is the Chinese. Now, 
some people would say, oh, well, the Russians aren't our enemies. Slow your roll. Um, we made them our enemies. We've made them our enemies, absolutely. But even more so, there are some, there are some, there are some things in, in Vladimir Putin's game, let's say, that, that I fundamentally disagree with. One of them is state-controlled media. And they definitely have state-controlled media in Russia. The lie is that America doesn't have state-controlled media. We have the thin veneer of free media and free speech that is really and run choice. by free and the, that is really reliable choice that is really run by a few corporations, also which gets thrown on the Jews. And in that respect, that one issue, there is way too much Jewish influence on American media. That that's just that goes without saying. I think at this point, but um, why do you call it Jewish? It's not Jewish. You know it's what I mean? Zionist. Self-proclaimed Jewish. Wrapping yourself in the cloth of faith to hide your evil. The Jews aren't the only group that do that. The 501c3 Christians are doing But they it. are the only group that have that much influence in the media. Well, a lot of them were very smart and they went to Harvard. That's right. So, you know, there's a great movie. Yeah. Don't say Harvard. Because now you're throwing my boy Jeff Quadnitz, uh, owner of the Big Three. Shout out to Jeff Quadnitz. I love Jeff Quadnitz, who's, yeah, who's also Jewish he's, and is very was very powerful in media. Now he's become a leper, which goes to show you that it, even if you're Jewish, if you're in the club, as uh, Stu Peters would say, but you rock the boat, you'll be casted out and excommunicated, excommunicated, just like with any other group. So I, I didn't bring it up to, to I'm excommunicated. Oh, of course. I'm you're, way out. You're an anti-Semite. I'm a I'm a raging anti-Semite according to some of my social media. Absolutely, um, but I I didn't bring it up for that reason. I'm just I'm just saying that um, you know the my my take on on the Dugan piece is you know we got to be realistic if we're gonna fight a war if we're not gonna fight a war whatever we're gonna do we got to be realistic about who our enemies are. And our enemies, when it comes to China and Russia, if we assume that both of them are our enemies, whether for some tangible reason or just because we're the three superpowers of the world, um, they believe in their identity. And we we struggle to, we, we have to redefine our identity. We got documents to do and it. And we don't have to fight, we don't have to work very hard. Those Those founding documents are good enough. Citizenship is the identity that we need. American citizenship is the identity we need to draw Do you know that the Russian Tsarina supported the United States Revolution, that the Russians supported us in the Revolution, they supported the Union in the Civil War. We were allies with the Russians in World War II. We're allies with the Chinese in World War II. Who was so effective in making us hate each other? Why is there so much hate in the world? Who benefits from all this division? Stu. Why are we hating each other? Do we hate each other? You know, we could hate each other, yeah. right? I'm a 64-year-old Republican activist. You're a 32-year-old, pretty pretty militant, actually, right? <laughs> so they say. Are we afraid of each other? No. Do we love each other? Absolutely. Did we work on it? We worked it out, right? No, we didn't work it out. No, nah, we worked it out. No, nah, we loved each other from day one. No, nah, you pushed on me from day one and made me fess up about it. Out of love. Out of love. That's correct. You mm-hmm. went into it with love. Mm-hmm. And I was blessed to be pushed in that way. Why aren't we 
proceeding as a culture. In that way? In that way. What? Well, okay. Well, in fairness, now, there are, there are ways where ideas like love and, and kumbaya can be used to lull you to sleep and stab you in the back. I'm not talking about that kind of love. This is the second no, great I commandment. No, I know, but, but, it, but it's not. But it, it, it's, it would be, it's naive to assume that people do well with sorting out what's love. I, I think people's natural instinct, if, okay, I'll give you an example. <laughs> Let me give Boy, you an example. We're going Hebrews now. Let me give you an example. <laughs> if three men show up at your door tonight, knock on your door, show up at your door and they knock on your door, three men, and they say, listen, we are... Is this a priest, a minister, and a rabbi? Yes. Okay, great. Okay, and they say, look, we're here to talk about God. We want to, um, you know, we, 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 we love our community. We love people. We just want to spread the gospel. We want to spread the word of God. We want to we inform people. We want to create a bigger community. We want to, whatever it is. Can we come into your home and talk more to you about it? What are you saying today? Myself personally? Yeah. We had this conversation recently. Mm -hmm. I will, now there's going to people that are going to think I'm goofy. I will look at them not in the physical realm. I will look at them from a spiritual perspective and try to understand if they're a danger to me. If their pitch is very good and I do not perceive danger, I will welcome them into my home. That's me. You're a better man than me. Mm, that's why many would describe me as militant. Because <laughs> I'm not even thinking twice about it. If three men showed up at my house, I don't give a fuck what they're saying. I just don't care. My Christianity isn't in that, in that realm. We're in a Templar night war-like. Christianity. So everybody, everybody's a threat until proven otherwise. Sometimes you're in a position to be able to feel whether people are a threat or not. And in those cases, you still may make a mistake. Yes, that, that, we had that conversation. Yeah. Because people are for sale. Yes. I, I agree with you about that. But if you come to my house where my kids are, where my kids sleep, and you're on that doorstep, I don't give a fuck what you're saying, but I got a ring system for one reason and one reason only to be able to count how many people there are outside. That's it. And to be able to get them fair warning through the intercom that I don't give a fuck what think, it is there, they have to, what the fuck they're selling, get the fuck from in front of my house. I don't trust you. I'm not opening up the door. Everybody at my house has the, 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 the mandate. We're not opening the door for anybody unless you really know them. And even the people that we know, we're probably second guessing. Well, this is a conversation. But and my point is saying that to you is you have to deal with the world the way the world is. So where From is trying to say you have to accept the world the way the world is, no, we don't have to accept the world the way the world is, but we do need to deal with the world and navigate the world the way the world is. Not the one side or the other. His argument is, hey, your country is multicultural. Your, your country has had the immigration it's had. Nothing you can do about it. Might as well accept it. Might as well accept more. Right there, he's Trojan horse and that more in. Yeah, the country's history is the country's history, but the country going forward isn't set based upon that history. 
especially when it comes to immigration. That's not, that's not reasonable at all. Hey, you're a nation of immigrants. Let everybody in. What? Go fuck yourself, David Frum. You and your little fucking posh, mealy mouth, Canadian little fucking accent. You, you go right on and fuck yourself, buddy. And, and you know what? By the tone of your voice, sounds like you'd like that kind of thing. Okay? We do have to deal with things the way that they are from a physical and danger sense. Nothing in the Christian, you know, we have a churchianity sort of Christian identity in this country, and it's based in prosperity and, and security. And that's the real, de- that, that's what's happened in this country. That's what I've been saying. These people are 501c3 Christians. They'll trade their freedom for security. They've done it. It's not they will do it. They have done it. And the, and the military and the cops and the whoever else provide the church security. So now church Christianity becomes this, you know, turn the other cheek, accept all of your neighbors into your home. And that would include the Central Americans that are disaffected by their despot warlords. Fuck you people. That is, that's not Christian. And there's a whole different side to the Bible that y'all are reading out, even in the New Testament. And I don't much appreciate that. It's dishonest, and it's taking the Lord's name in vain. Based on where we are today, right now, three people come to my home, they're probably coming to kill me. And on the off chance they're not coming to kill me, it's better for me to suppose that they are rather than run the chance that they're not because what do they offer me? What does it really offer me for them to come into my home? Nothing. They don't offer me shit. There's nothing I need from them. I got my own Bible. I got my own family. I got my own way to earn money. I got my own, you know, way to, to reach out to the community. I'm running for public office. So, you know, those are the assessments that American citizens do need to have the balls and courage to make in real time on a daily basis in their individual life while still understanding, yeah, there are some lines out there in the sand that need to be, need to be examined, need to be, you know, reformed, need to be refined. But, but in your personal life, and, and that's what they play on us. They're like, well, if you're here on that, then you can't be here on this. I, I totally get what you're saying. And you right? are running for public office. And I'll just tell you a little story this morning. I showed okay. up at, at the office today. Mm-hmm. And I came to my front door. I'm, you know, I'm an old school. I was the, I, it was my office. I was the first person there. And there was a backpack leaning up against the door of my office. You know what ran through my mind? Mm-hmm. You know what, what ran through my mind? Of course I do. Great. Bomb. Yes. Yes. Of course. So I'm getting there. But I'm new to this game. You've been playing this game longer than me. I really struggled with going in. Well, you know, one of the things I thought about too was um the 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 brilliance and convenience. I always talk about convenience to be the death of freedom and the convenience of a car starter. <laughs> uh <laughs> the old mob thing, right? The, the way the mob clip you or Mossad. Mossad is a bomb they do car bombings. Too. They uh, even get Muslims to do car bombings for them, right? Like this, an important drama that just happened in an Iran. Point to make, right? Because we don't know all these dark connections, mm-hmm. and this is why I deferred to you recently. Because people are for sale. Because if they don't have a strong sense of who they are, if they don't, if they're not spiritually centered, they can be co-opted. What happened? We, we, we got a hard drive getting hot here or something like that. But we've been on an hour and 50. We, we're we're going to save this conversation. I want to talk more about Dugan 
uh, in, a, in another podcast. Maybe we'll do one next week. Uh, I don't want us to run run out of time here on this hard drive. It looks like it must be getting hot or whatever. But we appreciate your time today, Professor Penn. Thanks for being here. Thank you to everybody who listened for another episode of Please Call Me Crazy Family and Friends edition on this Friday evening. Um, this is the Hebrews tandem of me and Professor Penn. Subscribe to his channel if you haven't already. Um, if you have, follow him on social media. I think you're a little more active on social media now. You can follow me as well. You can f- visit freepeopleradio.com uh, to, to figure, find out, figure out where you can watch and listen to the podcast, as well as follow us on social media, as well as purchase merchandise from our store. You can also go to freepeopleradio.store directly to get merchandise. Um, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your viewership and listenership today and in the future. Thank you again, Professor Penn, for being here. Any parting shots? Happy New Year and may it be a healthy New Year for you, for you and all the people you love. And that's it for us, guys. We appreciate you guys to the War Room Posse. Thank you, Maureen Bannon, Grace Chong, the great Steve Bannon, all the America First and MAGA folks out there, all the people who are now waking up to the scam that's been run on them politically. Stay tuned to the podcast. We'll be back next week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Don't forget. The 15th, January 15th, I'll be starting my daily daily radio show on the John Fredericks Radio Network. That'll be a daily hour segment. We'll be posting it on the Royce White USA YouTube channel as well so you can follow the radio show. I'm happy and excited. Thank you to John Fredericks um, and all the other America Firsters out there. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. And as always, Godspeed.